0: Amen. Some songs are a sermon in themselves. So thank you, sister, for bringing that for us. I know my Redeemer lives. There's nothing more glorious than the news that Jesus died for us. But then that He rose up out of the grave and God accepted that sacrifice. Like He accepted the sacrifice of His Son, on behalf of all who will believe, and that we can know the life-giving power of Christ to break in and make us totally new. And that is the most glorious truth in all of history, and it changed history, and we're here celebrating it today because of what happened 2,000 years ago, blew the doors open, and the kingdom of god came and the spirit of god began to save people and an awakening swept across the world to where the gospel is on every continent and people sing i know my redeemer lives because he didn't stay in the t- the, the grave he swallowed up death and victory and he rose up out of the grave amen so let's come to luke chapter 8 together, and I'll pray for us. Luke chapter 8, and we're going to be in verse 40, starting in verse 40. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you saw fit, Lord, to send your Son into the world on a divine rescue mission to redeem broken people, to redeem people who are enslaved to various things. Lord, sin wreaks havoc in our lives. It, it, it divides, it discourages, it enslaves, and Jesus came to break the power of sin over people's lives. And I thank you, Lord God, that you are faithful and that you love us and you love us so much that you would send Jesus into the world to save us. And Father, I pray that You would come upon this message, Lord, that it wouldn't just be words, God, but it would be life-giving truth. That it wouldn't just be more information or opinions, but the heralding of the Word of God in the power of God for the people of God. And that, Lord, that You would summon even some in here who are not Christians today. They do not know Christ. That they would be awakened to their need for Jesus and be brought near by the precious blood of the Lamb of God slain for them. That they would be awakened to faith in Jesus. That they would be brought into this great knowledge of redemption. And that they would know their Maker. And Father, we pray that as Your Word is heralded that we would be uplifted. And as the King Jesus is exalted, Lord, that You would be made much of. Not unto us, Lord. Not unto us, but unto Your name be glory. And so I pray that You would breathe Your Word upon us in power. In Jesus' name, Amen. All through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is headed towards the cross. He was born to die. He was born to be a sacrifice for many. He predicts over and over again that He would go to Jerusalem. And about halfway through the Gospel of Luke, you get to chapter 12, and it says that He set His face like flint to go towards Jerusalem. And from that point on, He's like a locomotive, like a freight train, headed towards a cross to redeem a people. And so all of Luke is like speeding ahead to that. And everything that Jesus does, whether He's speaking words to calm storms, walking on water, whether He's healing lepers of their diseases or raising the dead, He is showing the world that He is the King of the universe and that only He can do the things that God Himself can do. Because He's God incarnate. He's God in the flesh. He's God with us. And so Jesus is rushing to the cross in this Gospel account of Luke. And Luke was a physician and he was writing an orderly account of the life of Jesus and of the death of Jesus and of the resurrection of Jesus. He's interviewing eyewitnesses. He's going around talking to people about what happened so he can write an orderly account for us to be preserved so that we could know the truth about what Amanda was singing about, right? My Redeemer lives and he can come into your life and he can make you new. But why does Jesus head to the cross? And why does He have to conquer death and rise out of the grave? You ever wondered that? Why is Easter necessary? And it's because we live in a broken world. We live in a world where death and disease encroach. It's all around us. We've lived through two years of a pandemic. And if anything has been taught to us, It's that the twin realities of living in a fallen world and experiencing death and disease has become very, very real to us. And many of us, in fresh ways, because our whole world was upended, right? And all of the things, all the freedoms, all the things that we enjoyed were kind of taken. And we got. Either angry or frustrated or discouraged or totally paralyzed by fear. And if you think back on your heart throughout this pandemic, perhaps you have forgotten the precious truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ and why King Jesus needed to come. He came into the world to deal with death and disease and sin and most of all, to reconcile men and women, boys and girls, young and old, to their God. And deep down, we know something is broken and Jesus came to put that right. And so I was thinking about like, I would not be here today if the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen. Because I hated Christianity and I hated Christians. And I thought it was just a joke. And then, when I was 21 years old, a Christian full of the Holy Spirit, full of the love of God, full of the joy of God, came into my life and preached the Gospel to me And told me that Jesus died for sinners. And Jesus rose up out of the grave three days later. And Jesus could actually change me. And that I was running from God and living a life totally in rebellion. And the reason I wasn't happy, the reason I was discouraged, the reason I was chasing satisfaction everywhere else and not finding it was because I was made for God. And my heart would be restless until I rested in God and He sent Jesus To be the one to make a way back to God. To be the one who could restore our brokenness. And Easter is about God's yes to Jesus' sacrifice. It's about God's vindication of who Jesus was. And His mission to save sinners. And God says yes, and He accepts the sacrifice. And Jesus rises up out of the grave. And every other person of every other world religion is in the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Mohammed died. Jesus is alive. There is no one like Jesus. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And so I thought this week kind of about what I was going to preach. And I want to kind of do a little bit of a rewind in the Gospel and get a glimpse of Jesus dealing with our real needs. Dealing with some of the most horrific, debilitating, depressing situations and coming to people in their real need. And and you're in here today and, and there's all sorts of needs out there, but our primary need is to be reconciled with God because sin has broken our relationship with God. And all of the stuff that goes on with our physical sickness and the reality that loved ones die, and the reality that we have brokenness in our world and war on our horizons in the Ukraine and in Europe and things like that. The reason it happens is because we live in a broken world. And Jesus is the One who was promised from old to come and deal with it. And the Gospel is the account of God's dealing with men so maybe you're in here today and you're like, how can I be fixed? How can my heart be made right? How can some of the things that I'm struggling with and I'm in a prison and I need to be set free or maybe you're in here and you just feel unclean and dirty. Maybe you made some life choices that you just feel defiled. Maybe you're enslaved to a substance or some addiction and you have no power to break it and you've tried everything. You've spent money to do everything you could and you're paralyzed. Or perhaps you've spent thousands of dollars on psychiatrist bills and therapist bills, but nothing can deal with the real need of your heart. Nothing's been able to deal with it. And that's where Jesus enters in. Into our story and reminds us who He is. And reminds us of the power that He brings to change lives. So look with me if you would at Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. Now when Jesus returned the crowd welcomed Him, for they were all waiting for Him. And there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, He implored Him to come to His house. For He had an only daughter about twelve years of age, and she was dying. Deep need. And then Jesus went, and the people pressed around And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind Him and touched the fringe of His garment. And immediately the discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched Me? And when all denied it, Peter said to his master, or Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. So why trouble the teacher anymore? But on hearing this, Jesus answered him, but taking her by the hand, He called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once. And He directed that something should be given to her to eat. That is a powerful account of who Jesus is. And you get a foretaste of what Jesus was coming to do. because. The very things that seem so hopeless, the very needs that seem so urgent, Jesus is able to deal with in a way nobody else can. And so, the first thing we see when we look at this account is we see a hopeless, desperate situation of real need. And how many of us come in today and they're. You're desperate. You're hanging on by a thin thread and you want something to happen. Or maybe you're like Jairus and you are well to do. You you have notoriety, you have standing, but all of a sudden crisis hits and you realize there's need present and you're desperate. That's exactly what we see here in this account. We see a man who was the ruler of a synagogue. He was a religious man. He was a religious man who probably didn't think he needed saving. He probably didn't think he needed anything. And then all of a sudden, his world just comes crashing down. And his daughter is at death's door. And it says, if you look at verse um, 41, it says, "And, and a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue came. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored Him to come to his house. For he, was, he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. So this man goes from being one of standing, one well-to-do, one in, in, in the upper middle class tier, and then all of a sudden, he's crushed. Hopeless. Desperate for some answer to come help, and you know, he's probably spent a lot of money already trying to help his daughter. And death is just imminent, her time is short. How many fathers and mothers in here know what it's like to bite your fingernails, longing for your kids, longing, seeing the need, wanting to be able to do something, feeling powerless to do something? That's this man, he comes. Falls on his face before Jesus. And he looks to Jesus to do what nobody else could. None of the doctors, none of the people knew what to do. And he has to turn to Jesus. He's heard a man has been walking around town doing things that nobody could do. He could heal lepers. He's speaking to the wind and the waves and they obey Him. Who might this be who could reverse the effects of the curse on this world? Who might this man be? Could he help my daughter? Could he help you? Could he expose in you deep needs that you didn't realize you had that you need to make right before God? Perhaps He's exposing in you fears that you never knew you had. The past couple of years have just raised up fears and he's calling you to really believe something about who Jesus is. Where you felt before, I believe in the whole Jesus thing. I mean, I, yeah, I know he exists and I know he did you know, some stuff 2,000 years ago, but it's not really making a difference in my life. Well, perhaps you haven't come to the point of desperation and perhaps you haven't come to the point where you've fallen on your knees, where you've fallen on your face and you've realized who Jesus was. He's the Lord of all the earth. He's the One who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the One who puts the stars in the sky and knows them by name and counted them and holds them in existence. He's the One whom the wind and the waves obey and the lepers, Get healed when he touches them, and Jesus remains clean, and they get healed. This Jesus was drawing out Jairus, and sometimes, or Jairus, sometimes we look at this account and we're thinking about the girl, but Jesus is dealing with the man and the girl at the same time. Jesus is drawing people to Himself. He's drawing people to see their need. Have you seen your need? I can remember distinctly, I just—I I, I did not think I needed this Jesus thing. Like, I don't need the Jesus thing. That's what I thought growing up. I need the party thing. I need the drugs thing. I need the sleeping around thing. And none of it helped. And of course, I knew that. But then I didn't know it. Jesus had to show it to me. And Jesus is bringing this man to a point of desperate need. And then all of a sudden, you see this picture change. And it's like this kind of like, all of a sudden, you have a story interrupting another story. You have this encounter where Jesus agrees to go. He's going to go help this man's child and things are looking up. And then all of a sudden, this, this other story breaks in. And there's another woman, and she has an even uh, similar need. And notice that the girl was 12 years old. This woman has been sick for 12 years with a flow of blood that hasn't stopped. And many of us don't realize that in that culture, when you had a flow of blood, you were considered unclean. Ceremonially unclean. And so you were separated socially from others. You couldn't be with your loved ones. You couldn't be with your friends. You couldn't be with your family. You were an outcast. You were totally desperate. And you couldn't get near people. It's Like, there's the woman with the flow of blood. There's the leper, right? And that's what we see. Look at it in verse 43 as Jesus encounters her there. It says, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She couldn't do anything about it. She had spent her whole livelihood on physicians and doctors and nobody could help her with her problem. And in fact, the Gospel of Mark tells us in the parallel account that she didn't get better. She got worse. So she's out of money. She's totally separated from her loved ones. She's depressed, discouraged, ill for 12 years. And she's not getting better. She's getting worse. Have you been there? Have you been in that situation? Is that you today? Are you this woman? It's not getting better. It's getting worse. You've tried to fix it, and you can't. She's a picture of need. She's a picture of a woman who totally needs help. Have you gotten to that place where you are so desperate? And look at what she she realizes That she needs something more than just what the stuff the world can provide to medicate, to make right. And perhaps some of you are sensing today that you need something more. You need someone different. You need Jesus to break in and heal and forgive and make new. And you need to know He's willing to do it. And that He cares about you. When no one else cared about this woman, Jesus cared. When no one else would even give her the time of day. And in fact, not even the medical doctor she went to could help her. They only made matters worse. So we see in this account a picture of Real need, don't we? We see a need coming forward in both a father who's brokenhearted, watching his daughter daughter die right before his eyes, and a woman who's totally separated and cut off from everything and everybody and just feels dirty, unclean, and defiled. And maybe you're in here today and you feel the same way. And I want to put forward to you the one who can actually help. I want to put forward to you the one who we can cry out, My Redeemer lives. I want to put forward to you the one who is headed to a cross to deal with death and sin and all of your uncleanness. But the next thing we see here is we see a picture of saving faith. Because what happens? it's just not she's not just stuck in her need all of a sudden Jesus comes onto the scene and we see a picture of real saving faith look at verse 44 it's 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 profound what, what, what began as kind of a carnival of mirrors and a hall of shame that she's walking through, now she's encountering Jesus. And it says she came up behind Him. She snuck up. She came up behind Him. She touched the fringe of His garment and immediately the discharge of blood ceased. And power went out from Jesus and healed this woman. And Jesus said to her, who was it that touched Me? And when all that denied it, Peter said, Master, there's crowds all around you. Everybody's pressing in. Imagine wall-to-wall people. It's like being at Disneyland. It's claustrophobic. Everybody's pressing in on Jesus. And who touched me? Now, Jesus knew who touched Him, but He was drawing this woman out. Because she was a social pariah, right? She She was cut off. She's this woman with the flow of blood that everybody knows about and doesn't want to get near. And Jesus is calling her forth to publicly confess and profess her faith in Jesus. And she doesn't realize it. And look as that, that the account goes on. Jesus says, somebody touched me. For I perceive power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she had was not hidden, verse 47 says, she came trembling, and she fell down before Him and declared in the presence of all the people, why she touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And what happens? Jesus condemns her, says, Get out of here. No. Jesus looks at her and he says to her, Daughter, which is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus calls somebody daughter, is here daughter, when she was a, a considered a leper in society and nobody wanted to be near her, Jesus is calling her daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. And that word well actually is the same word for salvation all through the gospel. So the idea there is that more is going on than just a healing of the flow of blood. This woman is being forgiven of her sins. This woman is being adopted into the family of God. Daughter of God, your sins are forgiven you. Daughter of God, you've been made clean. Daughter of God, you have been saved. That's what Jesus came to do. And He can do it in your life if you will believe. And if you are a believer, glory in that because you are a daughter or son of God by adoption through faith in Jesus. That He cares about you. That He rescues you. That He can save you. And the Christian does not have to fear disease and death in the same way as the rest of the world. Because it won't have the last word. Because Jesus is able to deal with our greatest problems. Jesus is the one who swallowed up death in victory. And because He lives, I will live. Because He will heal one day and every tear from your eyes will be wiped away. Every sorrow and every suffering that you go through will be made totally new. And it will all have been worth it to trust Jesus Because those things that you've suffered and endured will become trophies and monuments to the grace of God and the saving power of Christ in you. Because you believed on the Son and were adopted. Daughter, your faith has made you well. What a powerful reality to somebody who felt so hopeless just moments before and power shoots out of the son of God, God incarnate heals her. And then Jesus publicly addresses her. And guess what? He touches her. She becomes clean. He does not become defiled in the process. And now she can be restored to her community. Because the flow of blood has ceased. Now she has peace with others. Now she has a sense of welcoming. Now she has a sense of renewal. And and that's what Jesus does. He begins to heal you wholly. He begins to heal you completely. He begins to restore relationships. He begins to renew souls. He begins to to, to fix marriages. He begins to, to, to work in the soul in ways that transform. And he's about to do it again. And you see this idea before you. Once again, on the best day for this woman, Jesus takes a detour, heals her, and she's totally transformed. And simultaneously, It may be one of the worst, most horrific moments in Jairus' life as he gets news about the death of his daughter. Look with me in verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. It's over. Don't bother. Have you ever had a day that was going so well and then the bottom dropped out of it? And you got some of the worst news you ever could imagine. Well, that was Jairus. He was headed to see his daughter healed, and now she's dead. And hopelessness begins to set in. And people are encouraging him. Don't, don't, don't trouble Jesus. She's dead. There's nothing that can be done. Again, there's a misunderstanding of who they're dealing with. But Jairus is about to learn. Jairus is about to see that Jesus can bring resurrection hope. And that's the the last thing, the third thing that we see in this passage. Resurrection hope dawns in the middle of the darkest moment of this man's life. Verse 50, but Jesus on hearing this, answered and said, do not fear. Only believe. And she will be well. Do not fear. Brothers and sisters, do not fear when the darkness comes because Jesus is the light of the world. Do not fear. Dawn may be coming very soon. Are you struggling with chronic illness? Dawn may be coming very soon. Are you struggling with the discouragement of maybe not a a physically lost or physically dying child, but maybe spiritually, you have a loved one who's not with the Lord right now. You need to know that when the day is darkest, behold, the dawn is coming. And Jesus says, do not fear to you. Do not fear, only believe. We're always called to trust God in the midst of impossible circumstances. That's what makes our faith so glorious. That's what makes God glorious. He looks good when Christians go through impossible situations trusting Him to do the miraculous. And whether Jairus' daughter gets healed then or later, Jesus is calling him to trust Him right now in that moment. Do not fear, but only believe, and she will be made well. And when He came, verse 51, to the house, He allowed no one to enter with Him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but He said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. (laughs) That is amazing. So to Jesus, who knows this woman is dead, or this little girl is dead, but sees it as but a nap because He is about to wake her up from it with a word. Because to the Prince of life, death is but a nap before the resurrection comes. Jesus napped for three days and then He was raised up. And you will notice that the Scripture reading we read from 1 Corinthians says that that those who had bore witness to the resurrection of Jesus, some of them are still alive today, though others are asleep. They were Christians and they're only sleeping because death does not have the last word for the people of God. Jesus defeated the final enemy which is death. And He did it Resurrection Sunday. And that's what we're here talking about. That's why we're here. Because Jesus is who He claimed to be and He can come into your life and make you new. And He can give you victory beyond the grave. And He can deal with the problem of sin, which is the reason all of us die. Do you know that? The Bible says that we die because we sin. That death comes in as an intruder. It comes in In God's creation, intruding because sin destroys and brings death. And think think about it sin brings destruction in marriages, in families, in friendships, in work environments. Sin destroys and it kills and it brings death. And Jesus is the Prince of Life, and He's coming to this little girl and He's telling her, Dad, just believe, do not fear. Her nap is about to end. And she will arise. And Jesus doesn't do any kind of magical incantation. As you will see, He comes, verse 53, everybody around Him laughs when He says that she's sleeping because they know she's dead. But taking her by the hand, He called out saying, Child, arise. Talitha, Kumi in Aramaic. Little girl, rise up. And with a word, He raises her up to new life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and He did it with His Word. In the New Testament, the book of John says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we behold His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. And this Son speaks a word to this girl and she comes to life. And maybe you are in here today. You may not be... Physically in the same situation. Maybe you're spiritually there. You know you're dead before God. You're separated in your sins. And you need a word of life to break into your heart so that this Jesus thing is real and you're transformed and you're renewed and your soul is no longer restless because you've found the Prince of Life and He's spoken in. And you can sing, My Redeemer lives. Because He's made you totally new. But it happens when you put your trust in Jesus. Because in the face of death, only He can speak a word in and bring life out of death. As C.S. Lewis so helpfully pointed out, only Jesus can make death work backwards. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday is glorious hope because Jesus can come into your life and make you new and bring from death life. And maybe you hear the Spirit of God calling you today to repent of your sins and put your trust in Christ. Maybe you hear the Spirit of God calling you today to get real with God and come before Jesus like Jairus and just fall on your face and come before Him in humble faith and say, Lord, I need You. Rescue me. That's exactly what was happening And Jesus was able to deal with the diseased woman and actually save her from her sins, which was her greater disease. We may be tempted to look at externals and think, my biggest problem is the physical stuff I've got going on. The physical suffering. The chronic diagnosis. The tumor in your brain. The reality that, that you've got all sorts of things going on that make life really hard, But deep down beneath it all, the greatest cancer of the soul is separation from God. And Christ came to be the One who would restore your relationship with your God. And He loved you so much that He went to a cross. He ran towards the cross. He runs towards the cross all through the Gospel of Luke. And he says, I came to seek and save that which is lost. But you got to know you're lost before you can be found. You got to know you're dead before you can be made alive. And maybe God is telling you today just that very reality that you need to be brought to life. And maybe you need to hear, arise. And Christ is awakening you to faith in him for the first time. I think about the Calvary Chapel movement and the Jesus movement in this late 60s and 70s, there was really the last great awakening in America. And among the hippies, there was a great gospel resurgence and outbreak of revival and where they were turning to drugs and acid and and sexual immorality and 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 communal living and all this stuff and just living for now living for you know love is love that's where that was all born out of right like the 60s and ultimately the gospel begins to break out and it started in California started in southern California northern California and people began to be, get saved. And there was a man named Chuck Smith, and he was a traditional man. He was a, a follower of Jesus, a pastor, loved the Lord, but he could not get down with hippies. He thought they were dirty and gross and, and uh, was a little weirded out by that. And he was recounting kind of the, the story of his life. Um, and I was listening to kind of a a biographical piece on this whole movement, and he said that the Lord was dealing with him before he was even born. His sister lay ill on a bed one day, and she was to the point of dying, just like Jairus' daughter. And the mom didn't know what to do. By all intensive purposes, she had no life left in her, no breath coming out of her. She took her to the local pastor and went to to church later, lifeless body there, and began to cry out to God and say, Lord, I'll do anything. I'll commit my life to You. My whole life is Yours. I'll do anything. And the pastor told her in a calm voice, he just said, look away from your daughter and look to Jesus. In a tender moment, she began to call on the Lord. And she said, I'll give my life to You. Just heal my daughter. And life came back into this little girl who happened to be Chuck Smith's sister. He was born a few years later. And he didn't realize it when he was young, but his mom had made a vow to follow the Lord and the way she would fulfill it is she dedicated her son Chuck Smith. You can read about this online. Um, He basically comes to the point um, of almost becoming a doctor and then has a change of heart and wants to pursue theology all of a sudden. And his mom you know, quietly says, oh, that's lovely, son. And she knows all along like, hey, I knew this was coming. And ultimately, God would raise up this man and he would have a first 10, 15 years of ministry that was abysmal. I mean, nobody was coming to church. It was just dead. And he began to just get frustrated. And then one day the Lord said, it's not by power nor by might, but by your Spirit, says the Lord. And that he would begin to look to verses like, and the Lord added to the church each day those who were being saved. And he began to look to God and just say, Lord, do something here. And, and, and he began to cry out because he, he needed a work of God to happen. And one day, he decides to open the church doors to the hippies that he thought were dirty and gross and grungy. And that would begin a great awakening called the Jesus Movement. And thousands and thousands of churches would be planted and hundreds of thousands of people would be saved and crusades and all sorts of ministry would go on. Networks of churches would go around the world. The Gospel would go on the radio. The Gospel would go on TV. Ultimately, people would begin to get saved from all over. And they just dressed in plain clothes and people would be getting saved off the streets. And then there, were, there was armies, imagine armies of hippies going out sharing the Gospel throughout the nation. And it was the last great movement of God that this nation has seen. And I'm standing before you today as the fruit of that movement of God that began in a moment just like Jairus' daughter. God did a work in one woman's life, and she would dedicate her son to raise up a man who would be the pastor of this last great awakening. And many people would come to know Jesus. And Resurrection Sunday is the reality that there is power in the Gospel of Jesus Christ to save sinners, and it doesn't matter how far out you are. You recognize your need and you come to Jesus. And you recognize there's hope in Christ to be forgiven and to be made new and to be made right with God. And He breaks in in powerful, life-giving ways. And much like Jairus and the woman with the flow of blood, it all began when people began to recognize who Jesus really was and what He could actually do in their life. Have you done that? Have you actually put your trust in Jesus? Given your life to Him? Now I know it's Easter and and I grew up going to church Easter and Sunday, um, and I knew, you know, like, mom and dad didn't really buy this, (laughs) you know, my dad was Jewish, so he wasn't really happy about being in a church, but my mom would take me, and ultimately, listen, like, Jesus is calling disciples to Himself. He's calling people to get real about Him. He's calling people to get get real and, and, and fall on their knees and ultimately humble themselves and actually admit they need Him. And He breaks in and He can actually save. And that may be happening for you today if you would acknowledge it. Come out of the crowd like this woman did. Come out of the crowd and actually admit your need. Actually come to Christ and believe on Him to save you. Believe on Him to heal you. Believe on Him to renew you. And He will come in and show you why He is the Redeemer. Why He is the One who can reverse the effects of the curse over your life. And you can meet God for the first time and have your sins forgiven and know the peace of God. Know what it means to be a daughter or son of God adopted with every right and privilege that you were made for. And that's what Easter is all about. He is risen. And He is risen to bring that kind of life into your soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, Lord, I know that this message ultimately is not my message. It's Your message. It's a message of redemption. It's a message of hope. It's a message of resurrection power that can break into our lives. And Lord, for those of us who just needed a word of encouragement, a word of hope, a word of grace, a word of truth to come into our lives when we're most discouraged and to remind us that we need to not fear, but trust You. Only believe. And only believe in Christ. And watch what He does. Father, You call us to discipleship and You call us to follow You. And I pray that we would get busy about living for King Jesus. That we would get committed to Jesus if we call on the name of the Lord and we call ourselves Christians, Lord, that we would live for You. And that we would have bold faith. That we would have resurrection hope. That we would have resurrection truth just flowing out of us. And that You would begin to awaken Henry County and Oldham County and... The state of Kentucky, and Lord, bring us back to a place where we see the dawn is coming. Lord, it has been dark for so long, and there's been Christianity's become the furniture of religion in our uh, area. And ultimately, Lord, I pray that the reality of this hope would break in. And maybe there's some today who just need to get right with you, and they know because the Spirit of God has been awakening them. The Spirit of God has been communicating to them these truths, and I pray that they would get right today, that they would come, that they'd come and actually admit their need before God, actually repent of their sin, and actually confess Jesus is Lord. For if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that You raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. And You will cast out nobody who draws near to You. And so I pray, Lord, that we would come during this song and get great help and great encouragement in this time of need, in this hour of need, an hour of decision. Lord, that there would be some coming to You right now, drawn by Your Spirit to meet Jesus for the first time in faith and reach out. In Jesus' name, amen.